0: Tonight, we're talking about a new Savior. We talked about a new prophet, a new Moses, a new prophet, the prophet, the teacher coming. And tonight, we talked about a new Savior in this discussion about the Christmas connection. And I want to start with this scripture. Though he was God, talking about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the on a cross In a way this kind of sacrifice and surrender makes no sense As Paul said in Romans it says for while we were still helpless and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly that was us. That was Israel. The people that kept rejecting him. But Paul says, for rarely will somebody die for somebody that's just and good. Though, though a good person, perhaps somebody might even dare to die for them. But God proved his own love for us that while we were still sinners and rebellious, uh, uh, just rebellious people, he died for us. But, but how did Jesus do this? How did it all start? This is where the Christmas connection comes in, but it's a story we've heard many, many times. It's a story that if you allow yourself, you'll just hear it again and that's it. You'll find no amazement in it, no wonder in it, because we're just so used to it. And if we allow that story to lose its wonder and amazement, we're going to allow our hearts to wade away from from God. So tonight, allow yourself to be awed again. Allow yourself to be in wonder by the miracle of our Savior's birth. I want to start in Exodus because, again, this Christmas connection, we've been connecting Moses and Jesus. And so let's look in Exodus. This is kind of Moses' start here. It says, Pharaoh, the king of the land, then commanded all of his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews. That's another word for the Israelites in a sense born for the hebrews into the nile but every every daughter can live now a man of the family of levi married a levite woman and the woman became pregnant and she gave birth to a son when she saw that he was beautiful she hid him for for three months because there's this threat that all the male kids the boy kids they get killed so she hid them hid him for three months but when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and, and pitched, uh, and pitch, and she placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Here's where it starts kind of getting crazy, is his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen, and Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe in the Nile while, she, while her servant girls walked along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she said, her slave girl to, to look at it, to take it. And she opened it, she saw him, Moses, the child, and, and, and there he was, a little boy crying. That's Moses' beginnings there. In and in a rival story like no other, there's this threat over his life. Times are tense, and he's hiding. Or that he's being hidden. You know, the government was on his shoulders. Pharaoh was ready to take his life before he even got to live it. But what happened? There was a rescue. A royal visitation. A royal intervening from the own institution that was seeking to kill him. Pharaoh was trying to kill all. The, and who saved him? Pharaoh's daughter. How crazy. The own group that was trying to kill him is what saved him but not only saved the boy but you actually when you keep reading he he was reunited with his mom the israelite the hebrew mom with his family to grow up not only both in pharaoh's household but also his parents so that's moses beginning and there's so many cool things about moses but let's jump to jesus matthew this is probably, again, a story that you've heard, but man, allow yourself to be in wonder. Matthew 2 says that, that after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to, uh, about to search for the child to kill him. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what verse we're on. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they escaped to Egypt. And he stayed there until Herod's death so that, when, uh, so that what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. There's this connection already with this threat over both Moses and Jesus' life, this escape into Egypt or it, as for Moses. As for Moses, into the Egypt household, into the Egypt throne, Jesus into Egypt, and, and he came out of there. He came out of there alive. Um, and then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. Here's where the, the orders for this massacre come in. All the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men, he ordered that they be killed. So again, there's this connection here. But how did we get here? Who are these wise men? And that's kind of what I want to focus on tonight. Is yes, we're focusing on Emmanuel, the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Lord and Savior, something we should be amazed by. But there's a reason I set all this up. And we're going to get to that by looking at the wise men. See, Jesus' life was in danger too, but he also had a royal visitation. Royal people These kings or these magi, they showed up. A secular intervening, and and secular means unreligious, like not part of the spiritual, not part of the religious world. That means God used somebody outside of the Bible world in a sense, the Jesus world, the Jewish world, to have a hand in the story of Christ's birth. So let's look at who these wise men were that interfered. Rewinding a little bit in Matthew 2, read with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. How many? It's a trick question. It doesn't say. So you don't know if it was three, but it was at least three, or at least two because it's plural, men, not wise man. So anyway. But these guys, these magi, these kings, they arrived, saying, where is, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. So these guys saw a star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so, because this is something big that's going on, so King Herod, he's upset mainly because he's hearing that there's this other king. And all Jerusalem's like, these uh, popular guys just showed up into town and they're looking for something. But anyway, so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. And in Bethlehem of Judea, they said, because that is what is written by the prophet and you, this is what it says, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judea are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he said to them, and he said, sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, let me know, report back because I want to go and worship him too. Remember, this is King Herod talking to the wise men. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until they came. it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. There's three gifts. They're like, well, they needed three hands, I guess. I don't know. It could be. It could be two. It could be 50. We don't really know. But it said they all went to the house, and I doubt it was a big house, so... yeah and they probably had people carrying their stuff for them, but that's a good point, but anyway, we just know it's more than one. That's all we know. it doesn't really matter, but every picture you ever see, of the wise man's going to have three just that's the traditional it started at some point, and it's kind of never gone away. There's even a song about we three kings but we I mean, anyway it it's okay it's okay. so we have a manger scene up here. But but if the wise man, wh- wh- where'd they go in? Were they at the manger? No, they went to their house. They went to a house. This was not a house. This was a shack, uh, a barn for the animals. So why are the wise men part of this story? Why are they included in the manger scene? It's funny. I I kind of pick on Susan Woodard because she always and y'all can help me because <laughs> I've been forgetting. But just don't tell her, even though she already knows. I always move the wise men, because she moves them away. Because technically, if you're in the story, they're not at the manger scene. But I like to put them at the manger scene, because it's funny. And she likes to move them away. So it's, yeah, anyway. All right. That's going to be on a recording now, and so I have evidence against me. Oh, no. Anyway. All right. So the wise men are integral part of the manger scene of the story of Christ and I want to talk about that even though they never made made it to the manger. Jesus was probably like 2 years old or or somewhere around there at this point. And that's when the wise men showed up. But these wise men, also called magi, were from hundreds of miles away, likely Persia, a whole separate country. Different customs and religions there. It wasn't Jewish, it wasn't Christian. Sure, yeah, yeah, (laughs) whatever. Anyway, they were secular, not spiritual. That means they weren't a part of the faith of the Jews, weren't Christians, that wasn't a thing yet. Like, they were of their own custom, of their own, like, they had no connections to Jesus. They were Gentile, not Jewish. They were lost both geographically and spiritually. They had no angels announcing Jesus' birth to them, telling them to go look for a baby in a manger like the shepherds did. So how did they end up in Bethlehem worshiping the Savior King? They saw a star, a unique supernatural star, announcing the birth of the King of the Jews. Centuries earlier, maybe one of them, um, actually one of them, one of their own people, Centuries earlier, way before these magi, one of their own people actually prophesied. Because God made this dude prophesied. His name was Balaam, and he had a pet donkey that talked. This is in Numbers twenty-four. You can look it up later. But he said, "This guy said that a star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel." So there's some connection there that one of their own people said Jesus was going to show up in a crazy way. And they also could have heard stories you know, from Jewish people because at one point the Jewish kingdom got knocked down, it collapsed, and all the people had just got pushed into exile. They were spread out all over the place, including Persia. And they might have heard them talking about a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's from Isaiah. But when the star appeared at Christ's birth, These seekers went searching. The wise men packed up their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh, in preparation to worship. Not just any king, because they didn't bring any of that to Herod. No, they asked Herod, hey, where's the real king? Where's the king of kings? They traveled hundreds of miles over many months to a place where they knew they could find the answer to their spiritual search, to where they could find God's people, to Jerusalem, it caused quite a disturbance. Everybody was wondering why these rulers, these kings, these figures of authority and of, of majesty, were there. Again, the secular, what is separate from the spiritual had intersected the spiritual. The Jewish chief priests and scribes found the answer in Micah found two, Micah 5, two, announcing the place of their messianic king's birth the Savior's birth, and it was Bethlehem, just six miles south of Jerusalem. So again, they're way off. They've traveled a long distance. They went to Jerusalem, and they're like, yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. It's just six miles from here. We'll come back to that in a minute. But in Matthew, once again, it says, after hearing the king, they went On their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These aren't Jewish people. These aren't Christian people. But they found something that amazed them. They chased it, and they ended up in front of the king of kings. See, the wise men, they never made it to the manger. By the time they arrived, again, Jesus was not a baby, but he was less than two years old. The family was not in the stable, but living in a house in Bethlehem. They missed the manger, but they found the one they were searching for. They might have arrived late, But they still found Jesus. And they fell to their knees in worship. Now, this is where the Christmas story took an interesting turn. And this is where we find today's Christmas connection. It was a star that captured the wise men's attention. And God used that star to lead them to the Savior. But notice who missed out, who didn't go see the Savior. The people of God. See, the wise men had traveled hundreds of miles, but God's people were too distracted by what was going on in Jerusalem, too distracted about their own way of living or their own rules of religion. They didn't even have the time. They were too caught up in what they were doing to walk six miles, which wasn't far back then. That's a lot to us because we have cars. But they didn't have the the they were too caught up with their own lives to take them the final six miles to meet the Savior. God's people missed bowing before Christ with the lost seekers, those who were seeking a star. Today, Christians oftentimes complain about the the commercialism the materialism of of christmas and easter and other things like we we struggle with this idea of the secular intersecting with the spiritual the secular intruding on the spiritual but what if we look at the glittering glittering objects stacked on the shelves and displayed in the windows and hung on the trees as shining stars that are all meant to point to the lost Point the lost into seeking a Savior, our Savior. There are those seekers all around us questioning the purpose of Christmas, questioning the purpose of Easter, questioning the purpose of church. And let's not just give them Bible answers, but let's personally lead them to and bow together with them before Christ. The wise men traveled hundreds of miles over many months because of one star. They allowed themselves to be in awe and in wonder of something. And God used that something to point them to Jesus. What will you allow to bring you to awe over the birth of our Emmanuel? God with us. God as one of us. What message will you broadcast to others through your response to the shining stars of Christmas season? Will you be ready and willing to take someone all the way to meet our Savior? Will you lead them to the one spoken of in Micah? The very passage that the chief priests, these scribes, these pastors of old times, they were reading it. Like, yes, our Savior is supposed to come from this town. These guys were looking for him, and then they took off and they didn't go with. Will you lead someone to the one? In Micah, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me, His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel, and he will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria marches in against all the fortress, fortresses, man, it's going to go crazy. But somebody's going to rise up that's going to be that peace. It's going to be everything that that they need. Jesus is our new Savior. Don't let it get dull. And God is willing to use even the secular things to lead people to Jesus. Take an opportunity, take advantage of that. God is willing to use anything to help you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Accept that, receive that. But you have to be willing to be led. To be willing to just be in awe and wonder of what God is doing. If you're willing to live without change in your heart, if you're willing to live without revival in your life, you will. Again, if you're willing to live without change in your heart, you will. But God's will is that you might further discover the wonder, the revival, the heart change that comes with our new Savior, Jesus. And to bow before Him too, surrendering the whole Of your life. So, where do you stand and where is your wonder? Where are you in relation to our Savior? Father God, I just thank you for tonight as we reflect on the manger scene, as we reflect on our relationship with Jesus, as we reflect on the the amazing things that you do, God. Help us not to get lost in the busyness that is the season, the busyness of the school year, but instead to see these shining stars in our lives that you're using to guide us into deeper relationship with you. May we once be once again be in wonder of our Emmanuel our Savior, who came to be with us, though He didn't have to, who came to be with us, the ones that rejected Him. God, lead us into deeper relationship with You. And may we be willing to be led. It's in Your name we pray. Jesus. Amen.